Hello and welcome to episode 367 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are once again coming to you in different locations. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champion Storm. And I'm in Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. We are soon going to be in the same location. There we go. And that location is going to be Las Vegas, Nevada, as of tomorrow. Uh, I don't know if we want to discuss that on this week's pod, except I, I guess we can note that uh, we are headed. I have never been there before. You have also never been there before to uh, Roy Choi's best friend. And I am very, very excited about that. You mentioned that before. It's funny that Vegas is like become known as a food city because I do feel like the place that I want to eat an exorbitant amount of food, the least of anywhere in the world is Las Vegas, Nevada, where it's like, just go and roast in the sun all day, <laughs> drink nonstop and then eat the heaviest the food, pool. the heaviest food you've ever eaten in your entire life. I don't know if it's all the heaviest food you've ever eaten. In your well, entire maybe life, not the but... heaviest food, but it's just like go have a chef menu or whatever. I mean, I mean, look, even before Vegas became a a food connoisseur capital, it was known for buffets. It's not like that people were going to Vegas to diet previously. That is true. <laughs> so we once did, have we talked about on the podcast doing the buffet of buffets? The buffet of buffets, rip to the buffet of buffets, always uh, miss it. Yeah, it's, uh, that was a very different stage in my eating life. I'm kind of sad that we don't eat at buffets anymore. <laughs> I have I mean, not evolved past buffets. Maybe you have, but I have not. It's not that I've evolved past buffets. Buffets are delicious. It's the it's the the quantity is too much for me now. Delicious. I just love the term buffets are delicious. As in, there's I mean there's, there's a lot a of different types rule. of buffets. Okay. <laughs> buffets can be yeah. delicious. Buffets are delicious. <laughs> <laughs> so what not a Vegas I've uttered. Wow, you, our mom would disown you if you, she heard you talking like this about like, buffets. This is the highest all buffets. Uh, as long as there's crab legs, yes. You're talking as about she, as long as she can there's there's sit there for like without crab legs. And she can as long as she can sit there for like two hours picking crab meat out to oh eat a small amount. You've never been to the Harris lunch buffet like I have. I don't <laughs> think there's any motherfucking right, crab legs in there. <laughs> I have not been to them. There's cotton candy. <laughs> but there's Bud Light. <laughs> I've had both of those things. No crab legs in sight. But buffets are delicious. You know what I think has been an option? What is that? Buffets that we've gone to in the past. That's the beer we're drinking this Hello. week in our search for Seattle's best IPA because we have gone for this week. Perhaps the most ubiquitous, certainly the most widely available Seattle IPA for our friends at Elysian Brewing, the Space Dust IPA. I I do have to correct you. I think you're thinking of the Goose Island IPA that has been available at buffets. Space I, Dust, I'm I, I not do recall sure that. But Unless we're talking I mean, about like Diamond Club Buffet or something, which we're talking about. Buffets are delicious. Okay, but well, thank you. The Elysian is very widely is available. Delicious. Legion is widely available in Vegas, isn't it? 
I would assume so, but I know Goose Island was like that was the, the like V one of yes. craft beer getting to Vegas. I what, remember we went down there. What buffet like, was that we were at? That had the Goose Island. Yeah, I think that was the Planet Hollywood buffet had Goose Island. Okay, IPAs, um, which I feel like you don't hear about Goose Island that much anymore. Maybe it's because no, we don't live in Chicago, Illinois. Um, but, but the I do remember like V one of when Vegas was like, oh, craft beer. We have white yeah. people here now. Um, <laughs> you always, again, always had white people. I know. I know. Always we have a certain white type of white person here now. White people. <laughs> always white people. <laughs> Bearded white people. <laughs> like that Harris buffet was not serving any Goose Island. There were, the <laughs> options were Bud Light and Bud Light. <laughs> That's dark. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. They cry for help. <laughs> they had prime rib. They didn't have crab legs. They had prime rib. I just remember it was like you know when you drink too many mimosas, which I I, I love the idea of mimosas. In practice, though, I really can't because you're always drinking them in the day. It's you got to be careful. Nap. And that's that. I just remember being at the Harris Buffet one time, drinking like six Bud Lights, and then like eating like like three or four slices of prime rib and leaving with cotton candy and then immediately passing out. <laughs> it was like 11.45 a.m. Uh, alone in Vegas. <sighs> I do so not learned... want to be alone in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> I learned Alone a... in Nashville was enough. I learned, okay, a fair amount about space dust from doing the research for this. Uh, first, their description, space dust balances bitterness with a sweetness of hop flavors, grapefruit, mango, and orange aromas with a medium body and a dry finish. But uh, so space dust was first brewed in 2012 as a one-off at their innovation brewery, Elysian Fields. The name originates from the brew day where leftover galaxy hop dust was spontaneously thrown into the brew, hence space dust. The beer grew in popularity within our pubs, was bottled in our Manic series, and eventually became the number one beer in our portfolio. Galaxy hops were eventually replaced by Amarillo. And then another thing I did not know, the artwork on the can, which is very distinctive with the hop on there, inspiration came from the original Pop Rocks candy, candy packaging circa 1976. With permission from General Mills, we adapted the label to a hop cone chomping down on hop dust while in space. All right. We're learning new information. Yeah. Uh, do we want to talk about Elysian Brewery in general? Do you also have a Do you have a Tall Boy or do you have like a? Oh, I have a nineteen point two ounce. I that's got the, the same smallest. thing. Fred Meyer. Yeah. It was the twenty two ounce glass bottle was seven dollars, and the nineteen point two ounce can was three ninety nine. I did not look at the prices whatsoever. I looked at whether I wanted to drink nineteen ounces of beer or twenty two ounces of beer, beginning a podcast, recording a podcast at eleven thirty p.m. Great did you to know you were going to. That we, it was going to be this late? Yeah. No, I did not know that I was going to write a story on the Storm Game. But uh, even at 10 p.m., I wasn't going to No one knew that, that anybody would be writing a story on the Storm Game. I love wow. the idea that the Storm won a game, and they're like, this is newsworthy. <laughs> it is. We'll talk about it later. I mean, they, they, they like prominently display out here, on here. This reminds me of... Shouts to anyone who remembers this. T- definitely tweet us or send us an email, peltoncast at gmail.com, if you remember this. And Derek Zumstag of USS Mariner way back in the day had a blog, like a pinned blog called get lit for less that like basically talked about the ABV per pro- per dollar of every beer available near or in what is now T-Mobile park, which surely included 
Elysian Fields. Uh, it's an interesting but anyways, concept. Uh, but, but I guess I, I didn't explain like that. You could no, be no, drinking it's... like some malt liquor. Oh yes. <laughs> like uh, I, if if that's what you're looking for, I'm not. It's it's a strange. It's like saying buffets are great, but like. <laughs> But I guess I didn't bring that home, which is that the Elysian, like, right there on the top, very prominently, 8.2% ABV. Oh, yeah. No, they, this is a hearty beer to drink 22 ounces of. At this point. Uh, we, are, we are sort of on vacation now. Do you... Well, my life is permanently half vacation, half working. So, do you want to talk about... Same with I thought you, you thought that of my t- life. <laughs> it's yeah. the same. Both of us. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about the history of Elysian beer? Because I think they are kind of one of the most notable breweries in the Seattle area. Without question. I mean, I don't really know a ton about the Elysian history pre-Anheuser-Busch takeover. I mean, I know that, you know, the the various locations that we used to go to the Elysian fields before ga- Sounders games and such. But I don't, like, know when they came on the scene, really. Wow. Bang up research. Well, I didn't. I didn't anticipate this line of questioning. You didn't think that when we talked about Elysian, the one brewery in Seattle, Washington, that has been purchased by Anheuser Busch, that we would talk about are the history the of that. Pyramid. Are there others? Pyramid is also like in a major chain, isn't it? It's a strategic partnership. Okay. With like the Widmer and a couple of other breweries. But right. nothing is as significant as the biggest beer company in the entire world. Well, I mean, we talked about on the pod. I know we talked about when uh, Budweiser ran the, like, no pumpkin seasonals or whatever yes. varieties ad during the Super Bowl. And it's like, you motherfuckers own Elysian. They, like, they don't know if they invented pumpkin beer, but they certainly took it to its logical limits. Yeah. They pushed it to the edge. I will say that after drinking this beer, even a few sips, it's pretty freaking great. I mean, the thing about Elysian is that, like, the the, the plan works. Like, if your choices are, you know, domestics or Elysian, you're going to take the Elysian every time. So, I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts here? Um, Are you doing research? Apparently founded in 1995. So. Uh, yeah. Uh, Elysian Fields opened in 2006. You got anything else here? I, I just really love just you reading Wikipedia. In, in real time. That's so great. Cloudburst, as far as I understand, I think Cloudburst generally considered to be possibly the best brewery in Seattle, Washington, right? I think the hippest. Cloudburst, I believe, was founded from brewers who were initially at Elysian, including maybe the folks who developed uh, the Space Dust IPA, and then brought that recipe. There's supposedly, rumor has, this is all me, this is me operating off beer hearsay. Beer, beer no, yeah, come on. That was just sitting right there. You have to say uh, it, you have to say the whole thing and then abbreviate it. So St- Steve Luke, according to this, uh, uh, founded Cloudburst after working at Pike, and the, so he was the it, former lead brewer at Elysian Field. So it does sound like, in all likelihood, he was involved in creating, uh, in creating Space Dust. As the story goes, Anheuser Busch came in, tampered a little bit. They tweaked tweaked the recipe. 
a little bit with Space did Dust. They? There, there was some well, we did, feelings. Again, I mean, this, we did this... mention we did mention it was it is right there on the website that the Galaxy Hops were replaced by Amarillo. I don't know if that was controversial or if that was part of the just development process, or maybe scaling also. Right. Like you know, if you're talking about having 19.2 ounces in every single Fred Meyer, you have to be able to scale quite a bit. In QFC, really, every Kroger. <laughs> all Kroger's. I'm sure that they're in other Safeway Albertsons as well. Um, <laughs> That's just where we happen to purchase. But <laughs> the Trader Joe's. Uh, <laughs> but the 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 rumor has it that at Cloudburst they brought the original recipe of Space Dust and are brewing that there now. So I'm excited. Maybe next week we do uh, Cloudburst as a comparison in conjunction with Elysian because I I do have to say my skepticism about three corporations owning every single company in the entire country. This is pretty good freaking beer. <laughs> uh, so apparently cosmic lust is the original is the like version at cloudburst of cosmic the original lust at cloudburst. Yes. Is that a, is that a, like an everyday beer that they have? Unclear. Okay. I'm just going off of an Instagram post where they're complaining about, uh, in advertising campaign talking about the origin of space dust that Cloudburst, who, again, their founder, did invent it, disputed on Instagram. Okay. So there you go. We will continue more research now that I know that this is something. Peltoncast follow-up. Before we get to our toast, I did want to mention our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. A big announcement yesterday. Whoa! Three new... Full-time ingredients joining their already stacked menu. Wow. Burrata is going to be full-time. Soprasada salami. Oh, yeah. And Mike's Hot Honey. honey. And so, again, to their loaded list of, of, you know, standard pizzas, they have added three of them. The Tricolore, which was previously seasonal, inspired by the Italian flag with burrata and pesto and... And then tomato sauce, obviously, making up the red of the Italian flag. A burrata soprasada, oh. which I think is at the top of my list to try here. And then the diavola, which is soprasada and Mike's hot honey. Oh, this is not even SpawnCon. I'm just legitimately excited about this information. I mean, it, I mean, it is because I'm going to try it with the gift cards that they so graciously provide us for this podcast. But Sometimes independent of that. Both. Exactly. I, I really look. This was a hard week for Italians, of course. Uh, with, We're going to get to that in a second here. But I will say, Pagliacci Pizza is doing their best, making up for it. The tricolore, like, I mean, come on, what more could you ask for? But these are very Italian pizzas that I feel like they added. Uh, they are. I agree. I don't know that Mike's hot honey is a super Italian one, but <laughs> ingredient. But that uh, just sounds yes. good. I'm not even that mad. Does, no, uh, without question, I'm not. I'm not complaining. Well, as we get to our toast, we start by pouring some out for the Mariner's Italian contingent. Once, two short months ago, so strong, oh. which has now been reduced to zero, with Sam Hagerty being optioned to Tacoma, where he joins Matt Festa. Manager Scott Service had this today to say, Sam Hagerty will be back. He's a major league player, and he'll be back to help us at some point. The Pelton cast. We'll count the days until it is so. We legitimately pour one out. 
I I saw that news. I mean, at least he's not out of options. Like yeah. if they if they would have had a DFA Sam Haggerty wherever he goes, that's what I'm a fan of. If there was a way to get him to the Dodgers, I feel like that'd make a lot of sense. But I mean, we kind of knew this was coming when Dylan Moore got activated from the IL. You you were optimistic it wouldn't be the case. That'd be cool. Long still am optimistic. <laughs> yes, <laughs> still sticking around. AJ Pollock still on the roster. Mike Ford's here now. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Mike Ford's there because of the innings he could give them, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because of his arm. An actual toast, sort of. Julio Rodriguez named AL Player of the Week last Tuesday. Why they named the Players of the Week on Tuesday is unclear to me. This now, news now feels very dated after the <laughs> so you subsequently have, played games. You could have a really shitty weekend and then <laughs> <laughs> name the Players of the Week. It's just like, cool. Woo! Julio had an amazing week, as we talked about on last week's pod, when that week actually happened. <sighs> I mean, a homer today. Julio will be back. I, it's very yeah, I'm fun. Not worried. Julio is not the concern here. But also, it was just like, a Mariners player was the player of the week? <laughs> After that week? Apparently all the Rangers players were washing their hair. Uh, next up, congrats to former longtime UW women's soccer coach Leslie Gallimore, who was named OL Reigns general manager on Tuesday, filling a role vacated by Nick Pereira's departure in March. Uh, it will be interesting to see what happens with the sale of OL Reign, but for now, certainly provides some steady, experienced leadership in that position. Congrats to the Seattle Thunderbirds, who reached the Memorial Cup final for the first time in franchise history by beating the Peterborough Peets 4 1 in the semifinals. I feel like we already celebrated this. <laughs> no, we celebrated How many more them. finals are there? They celebrated them reaching the Memorial Cup by winning the WHL okay. finals. This is the finals of that four-team tournament. And they uh, won. Where they, no, they reached the finals. Oh. That's what we're celebrating. They then lost 5 nothing to the Quebec Ramparts in the final. Oh, Ramparts! Um, so yeah. the Thunderbirds confirmed as the second best team in the Canadian Hockey League. Sadly, Seattle does not roll its neighbors to the south. Do you remember when we were children and our parents sat us down and they were like, children, there's one team that we hate in this entire <laughs> world. And that's the Quebec Ramparts. I thought it was the San Diego Wave. Strike again. <laughs> Ramparts. Ramparts. If there's anything that this that the Pelton cast loves, it is playing a random team. <laughs> We gotta look at who the Seattle playing, playing a random team. Honestly, like I just I will always remember one of my favorites ever was when we had we're, the Huskies played in the Zaxby's Heart of Dallas Bowl, and the deep dive on Zaxby's the Zaxby's <laughs> menu. <laughs> just subsequently that's, had one time in Charlotte. That's a random random restaurant, not a random team. But to me, it's the Giltinis and the whatever the oh, other team oh, was for sure. But the Quebec Ramparts. Do you think that the Quebec Ramparts play south of Seattle, Washington? I mean, the odds favor it, don't they? They do? Because all of Canada is technically south of <laughs> Seattle, Washington? <laughs> Not British Mathematically Columbia. speaking? That's the only part that isn't. <laughs> well, I'm just searching in here. Google Maps, Quebec Ramparts. <laughs> oh, did that not bring up anything? It did. Quebec Ramparts Ice Hockey Club. All right. They are in Quebec City. I think we looked this up. 
Did we? And I'm pretty sure Quebec was south of Seattle. Well, Quebec. Quebec is a province. Parts of it are... I think Quebec City was south of Seattle. It seems very likely to me that it is. Wow, they are awfully close. It is real... I think Quebec might have us. Woo! That is is tight. I agree, okay? We need a a latitude here. Yeah, we we have to get technical now. We're going to the latitude. 46.831 north. Wait, I'm getting 46.8572. Is that the, the... the arena specifically. Well, I, I googled Quebec City latitude. Okay, Google Maps told me forty six. We'll, we'll just stick with forty eight six point eight. So what's Seattle's latitude? Forty seven point six. <laughs> Had it all the way. Wow! Had Take that rampart all the way. You go all the way down south to Quebec City and celebrate your little championship. But we will be back. Seattle, Seattle, where the Thunderbirds play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll Kenny's a little further south. I suppose we have to double check the latitude for <laughs> Kent specifically. It's getting a little tighter. Oh boy. Reports. <laughs> it was just a boy. Uh, my pappy sat me down and told me about the ramparts. Uh, staying on the hockey theme. Congrats to the Conchella Viol- Our parents, Conchella Valley Jan- Fire. Jan would be so confused by this conversation. <laughs> she would not be able to follow. It's She's funny, we're going to Vegas. I think when we get back, we need to have Jan on because she was like, you're going to go to all these restaurants when you're in Vegas. She's like, here's the restaurants I went to. Popeye's. She had another trip. Just Jan needs to come back and talk about her going street to street of getting fast food in Las Vegas. I'm worried that like the first Jan Popeye's appearance set the bar so high, it's going to be tough to match the magic of that. But uh, She made it can... back there. She went to Vegas and was right back at Popeye's. She ate at Shake Shack, I will say. Oh, okay. Also a look at place we have in Seattle, though. Congrats to the Coachella Valley Firebirds, the Kraken's AHL affiliate, who beat Milwaukee in the Western Conference Final to advance to the Calder Cup Finals in their first season of existence. Coachella Valley, Coachella Valley, I don't know why I can't say that, will face the East winner, the Hershey Bears, in a best-of-seven series. <laughs> don't starting get started Thursday. on the Hershey Bears. Hershey Bears sounds like a rejected candy yeah no that's not they're, good i don't try to do gummy bear chocolate yeah. gummy bears that's rejected we are really going deep on these toasts here that's look it, it is june there are not a lot of sports they stole our basketball team we've got no nba draft to look forward to right now it's well bleak. by the way did you did you see the blazers news today no what was the blazers news so they hired Pujetter, who is i believe from the portland area i remember i had Stable. a basketball card i remember Pujeter. jetter it's pronounced Jetter. Yes, just like his sister, Carmelita, the uh, Olympian. Okay. Uh, it, who, I ask you about a lesion, you're like, I've never even heard of beer. And then you're like, <laughs> <laughs> I had no father. You're like, I, I, I'm like, tell me about a lesion. You're like, let me di- let me just tell you from the memory about Pooh Jetter, every single thing about him, but okay. Well, so Pooh Jetter is going to be working uh, as the GM of the Blazers' new G League affiliate, which is coming online next season, as well as a player development coach. Do you know where Pooh Jetter played last season? No. Did he play G- last season? He played for G League Ignite. Okay. Which where he played with a young man named Scoot Henderson. Okay. So everything's lining up. Scoot to Portland. They're not going to trade the pick. This is This is the new theory. Okay. Scoot yeah, but what, what does that mean? Peace to well, Dame. 
I will see how Dame feels about it, but he's I'm lining up for Scoot. There was a I I for some reason listened to Simmons and Rosillo or whatever because they were literally because they were talking at the Blazers and it felt like they were trying to force a conversation. It's like, what should the Blazers do? And I'm like, why is this a conversation on a national podcast? <laughs> like it was like highlighted as one of the topics, and I feel like it's all leading towards Simmons just trying to be like they should trade Dame to the Blazers or to the Celtics or sorry to the Celtics or trade like scoot for Jalen Brown. It really is just like wish casting that the Blazers will trade one of their two good assets for a Celtics asset of some kind. And I'm just like, why is this a thing? But I, I think at this point, my preference, I Dame Lillard is my favorite basketball player, including Brandon Roy since the Sonics existed. I, I like Damian Lillard more as a basketball player, more than I liked any other basketball player. But I think the Blazers should trade him. And I, mean, I also, the good thing about not really being a fan of the team is that is being like a half fan when things are going well, it's similar to the Mariners, you understand. But like, if Dame goes to whatever team, I could still just cheer for him there. I don't have to have hard feelings about it. It's great. I can love Dame wherever he goes. But I do think for the long-term future of the Blazers that I feel like they have to trade Dame. Like, look, it's it's so obvious that that's the best long-term move. It's not even worth discussing, but they, we'll see what happens. They have, like, kind of incredible young-ass, like, players. If they draft Scoot with Shaden and whatever they can get for Dame, like, the Blazers could be positioned to be, like... A, a legit contender in three or four years. It'd be an interesting team. Now, I will say the downside is, I don't know if you've looked around the Western Conference, but uh, there's the Oklahoma City Thunder and uh, the San Antonio Spurs are getting this guy named Victor Wembanyama, although they're not allowed to say they're getting Victor Wembanyama because the NBA needs to maintain the illusion that <laughs> anyone could go number one. Oh, who knows who might go number one? We'll see. I mean, we don't, Scoot might be really good. And Shaden made like Shaden had a very good rookie year for how young he was. And no, I'd be excited. I'm just I'm just saying that that's probably a reason that is perhaps something that they are considering in terms of that. That like there's a lot of teams that have built up a tremendous number of draft picks. So what? What do you do then? Just like be like we're gonna compete for the sixth seed this year. I mean, Dame is like, the greatest player in franchise history. Like, look, if the Blazers choose to continue, you know, running it back with him, trying to win with him, like, I understand that decision. I totally understand. And frankly, it, it's not so bad for me to play interesting games next season. So, I mean, the, the reality is, and this is what people never consider when they're talking about basketball or baseball or whatever, is that none of this matters. Literally none of it. It's oh, all I can, irrelevant. I consider it a lot. Do like you? people, <laughs> you're, you, you're the only person who it does matter to you because <laughs> you're getting paid from it. Most people get nothing. It's not They're even that Most people are paying usually yeah. for it. I'm, I'm going the other direction. No, uh, I'm, I'm reading a book about the history of the English Premier League. And like there's a com section in there complaining about like transfer culture, similar to, you know, transaction culture in the NBA. And my thing is always like, oh, really? It's like so 
you know, frivolous that we're caring about where players are going as opposed to like obsessing over a bunch of guys in tank tops and shorts throwing a ball into a ring. <laughs> like, let's all be serious about what we're doing here. Sports, and you and I both are just like, literally, it doesn't matter. Who cares? <laughs> Hashtag podcast nihilism. <laughs> No, the point it's is the it's only all podcast you're getting where it's the just point like, is it's all constructed it's meaning. Oh yeah, no, it's constructed so meaning. Don't don't thing. like put down others culture. because they have a different constructed meaning than you do. P- the the putting down others for the different constructed meaning is the only thing holding the thing together. <laughs> the the <laughs> like, it? I mean, do, do the games matter that much in the EPL? Most of them, no, not at all. The concept of of relegation, promotion and relegation is I think is a great concept. I think that uh uh well, international terrible. Have we never discussed this? But, but Have you it, ever watched Sunderland Till I Die? It like rips the the organization apart. When they went down? Yeah. Should have tried harder. <laughs> they did try. It their owners stopped spending money. Like there's only so much you can do. It's not like I mean, I, look, I'm not saying that the American system is perfect because sometimes the owner decides to sell the team to a group from Oklahoma City and the team is just fucking gone. Yeah. So I'd rather have the Sunderland situation. Yeah. I agree. There's, there's a history. But, Sunderland's not going to be in the second league forever. I mean, but they're, also, they're, yeah. the British, the European soccer model is basically just like funneling the largest amounts of cash into teams, right? Like it's, yeah. I'm sure that there's some money laundering going on. Like it's, it's not a good model, but at least the teams specifically are, laundering. The teams are staying in the same cities. Uh, anyway, <laughs> as I was saying about the Blazers, <laughs> Scoot Anderson, yes, <laughs> and none of it mattering is whether they try to win a championship this year or whether they try to win a championship in five years, they're probably not going to win either time. So true. All we have, if if literally all the Blazers do, and I feel like this is what people who talk about basketball on the internet and in fucking podcasts and shit don't understand, is that it's all irrelevant for most teams. Some teams have a chance to go to win a championship or whatever, but if your only goal is winning a championship, if that's all that matters, then you're going to be disappointed. You're going to have these same conversations every single year. You're going to be like, we have to blow it up. We have to trade our star players or whatever. Having Damian Lillard this is me after saying that I think they should trade. Him. So <laughs> I understand I'm doing the all takes Tristan thing. Oh, but, yeah. but you're performing Lillard all takes Tristan play in Portland, maybe even retire in Portland, play his entire career there long term in 10 years. When we look back on that, we're going to be like, like what the Lakers did with Kobe is the most impressive thing that the Lakers organization has ever done by paying Kobe, keeping Kobe for his entire career, having Kobe be the most important player in Lakers history and probably in basketball history because he played for that same team forever is it was an important thing that they did. If he plays his last three seasons in fucking Charlotte or something like his career matters less. Charlotte. You think he was going to Charlotte? Well, I don't know. Chicago, Philadelphia, right? Okay. Those are plausible options. It doesn't matter though. What I'm saying is that, it it makes everything it makes everything worse. And the Lakers organization kept Kobe Bryant for his entire career. They extended him in a time when it probably didn't make sense to extend him, but oh, they yeah. did it. They ruined the franchise for several years. Organizationally, that is what mattered to them. And the people of LA, who are the people who are paying for this team, right? Who are buying tickets to the games, that's what they wanted. They like winning, but they also wanted them to take take care of their superstar. 
and they wanted to have Kobe be this figure in LA. They didn't want to see him come back with Philly, you know? So again, were the Lakers going to win the championship for those years? Absolutely not. Were they going to win the championship for the couple of years because of that? Because of the money that they spent on Kobe Bryant? Absolutely not. It literally does not matter. And even if they do win a championship, it's a fleeting feeling. And it doesn't uh, matter also. Just like... Uh, Kevin Durant had Taco Bell, and he still got diarrhea after he <laughs> won the championship. <laughs> so, but you understand what I'm saying? Like, if the Blazers kept Dame for his entire career into, like, times when... I, I don't know. They missed the playoffs, right? Yeah. It's probably about as bad as it can be now. But if they keep Dame forever... I would, I would it, never say that things are as bad as they can be because they can always get worse. But it would be kind of an incredible feat for the Blazers to have done that and for Dame to have played in his entire career in Portland. And Dame would matter more to the city of Portland than if they trade him right now. And they, what, get a bunch of picks back and then they eventually lose to... I'm not going to say the Thunder because that won't happen. But Because we all know my feelings about Chet. But eventually lose to the Spurs or whatever in the conference finals. Like, dope. Great. So in conclusion, congrats to Carmelita Jetter on becoming the head coach <laughs> of track and field at cross country at UNLV. Your teams are not as fast as UW's. Uh, with that, you often say like how quickly we got to it. You're not saying that today. It's time for your favorite segment. Don't burn yourself. We got Mariners hot takes coming at you. The Mariners offseason was terrible. Did you know that? I did. Of course you did. You know how you knew you knew you know how you knew. Is it because Be I defended it? Because of the fucking shellacking they've taken every time they've played a good team this season. There's no debate anymore. It's over. But that's not where this take is going. There is a certain part of the Mariners conversation that feels the need to relitigate this fact every time they lose 16 to 5 to the Rangers or something. Like, dude, we've got it. We all know that the Mariners offseason was bad. We all understand the futility. We don't need a 20,000-word think piece about A.J. Pollock to know the offseason was trash. The only thing worse than the Mariners this season is the dialogue around them. It's the equivalent of one of the mini memes of dudes explaining something to a woman at a music festival or a basketball game or Bad Bunny. It's the equivalent to rehearing a story you've already heard that kind of sucked the first time. By the way, have I told you about the time I shot from half court to the Sonics game, actually? <laughs> It's basically fucking dad from Brooklyn underscore defiant in the year 2023. We know, dude, Trump's bad. The worst aspect of this conversation, the most Kevin Pelton pilled of this dialogue, is the warning about what everything means for the future. God, I, I fucking hate Twitter so much. Did you know that the record last year wasn't that amazing and they had a 14-game winning streak in it? Or are you aware of run differential? I just miss the good old days of actual shit-talking without a statistical bent. Like, I get it. You're not wrong, but you're just an asshole, and no one cares. And I love the idea that this fan base is owed more. Like, what did you expect 
How is this fan base owed more than anything? This is the most feckless franchise in sports for 20 years. They made one wild card, and all of a sudden we think something is going to be different now? LeBron ain't going to the Kings this offseason. Gabe Vincent probably isn't either. This team is permanently cursed. They've made whole documentaries about this fact, and they don't end with the team signing Corey Seager. The Mariners are the exact opposite of heat culture. Every opportunity they have, they will make the least of it. John Marzano is their Ronnie Cycli, by the way. <laughs> Succession was right. It's all bullshit. The whole thing is bullshit. This isn't even a baseball team. It's literally just a collection of nepotistic hires, arbitration year manipulation, promising contracts to 14-year-olds. And that's the fun part of the organization. Because actually what this is, and every major professional sports team, is a TV deal, some property that was heisted from a city, and a shell company that is needed to keep afloat before a white male billionaire is able to sell for a 50,000% profit. There's no social responsibility. It doesn't actually matter if they win. The Mariners are a bar for 20-something tech employees to go to on a Friday night because Loretta's or Linda's is too scary for them. It's about maintaining the smallest payroll while winning just enough games to keep people on the internet writing think pieces about how the team should be better. This isn't accountability. No sports franchise has ever said, gee, I wonder how our offseason was looking. Let's pull up Twitter and see what the T is. Even you who write for ESPN, you do trade grades. That front office is C. If the front offices read your trade grades, they're not looking for tangible feedback. Can you confirm this? They're looking for confirmation bias. If it's an A, of course they're genius. And if it's an F, then you're an idiot who doesn't understand basketball. Can you confirm this? Can confirm. But Paul Anka told us exactly what to do if companies are attacking you. Just don't look. We don't need to pay attention to the shitty Mariners team and their shitty offseason. Complaining about it is all part of the construct of the Mariners mattering. Be like me. Don't watch until the third period. Pull up the score in the seventh inning while living your actual life which is going to children's baseball games. See that Mike Ford is pitching and be like, I'm good. So, you have to agree to this with me. They have played their way onto the rundown. And guess what? They could play their way out of it. If the Mariners are under 500 for that week, they're off the rundown. Gone! (laughs) Especially after sending down all of their various Italian players. Because the offseason was bad. And guess what? I don't care. History will record this as one of the greatest hot takes of all time. I don't know if it's as good as the Canadian one, the one time. This was pre when discussing how South that is. So, I mean, we saw that the pressure of staying on the rundown, that it created diamonds out of the whatever, the coal that was. Uh-huh. Uh, the Utah baseball program. Baseball, yeah. Do you think it's going to have the same catalyzing effect on the Mariners? It either will or it won't, and I don't care. 
That's all I'm saying. I'm. Have you seen this? Are you aware of everybody being like tweeting about like, no, we need to talk about Julio. We don't need to talk about Julio. We don't need to talk about anything. Really need to talk about anything. Yeah. No one has to go on Twitter. That's it. <laughs> My favorite I is always like stories like, what do you need to know about? Uh, I don't know. Jason Sudeikis' divorce. And it's like, nothing. The answer is nothing. You do not need to know anything. The other thing is I love the debating about the offseason as if there are people out there who are being like, well, I still think it was pretty. I think the contributions of Colton Wong shouldn't be. (laughs) It's just like, we all agree. There's nothing Twitter loves more than media straw horse probably employed by the team. It's like, well, Brad Adams said this. It's like, yeah, he's paid by the team. We don't care. It's Or like some national columnist from fucking December. We're good. They're not defending the team anymore. It's over. Who cares? We went two decades without caring about the Mariners. They had one good season and now we need to care again? Wow. This is this is quite a take. I I feel like the just like standard murderous notes I put in the rundown section are why or like, oh they got like their asses kicked by the Rangers all weekend. That's your notes. Cool. No, that, was, that was not the notes. It was mostly injury updates. Oh great! I do love Andres Munoz. Look, who's activated if, from the injured list Tuesday along with well, Dylan Moore. But at what cost? At the cost of Sam Haggerty. And the reality is, well, not Andres Munoz, but. The sure. only is probably Dylan Moore, but clearly it was Trevor Gott was placed on the IL in the corresponding move for Munoz. The only reason that I can quantifiably understand to pay attention to sports at all, as a host of a sports podcast, of course, <laughs> and food. <laughs> oh, there's all the reasons to care about food, but you eat it; it gives you joy. Is that you develop literally, r- relationships literally with players? Live. Right? Winning is not inherently fun. Winning with players that you care about. This is why the stuff like Dame Lillard matters. If you have a bunch of players who, if the Mariners had signed all these good players and they were really good, be like, maybe we like them. We probably would eventually like them. But I care about Julio, right? I mean, this is another thing that's happened in the NBA during the playoffs is like sermonizing about the Denver Nuggets did it the right way. They built from within. They didn't try to skip any steps in the process. It's like, motherfucker, there's no right way to win. But I will concede it is more fun if you win with players who have been around a long period of time. The right way to win is to draft the back-to-back MVP in the second round. Hey, you know, conveniently, someone has a story about that decision coming soon on ESPN.com. About what does it also, but it's like trying to create a narrative around it. It's like they got lucky. The Nuggets didn't draft Jokic with their first pick in the draft, did they? Oh, you know who has quotes about that in the story? Former Nuggets GM and and executive vice president Tim Connolly. It is all luck. The same with heat, quote unquote, heat culture. It literally doesn't exist. It's nothing. Ah, I mean, I think culture does is can be, even though it's not a tangible thing. I I do think it exists, but and for the Mariners, it's bad. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's one of those word, things that bad. if you get lucky, uh, if you get lucky, you're like heat culture. 
But if you don't get lucky, you're like, I'm ignoring this conversation. I agree with that. I don't know what got what got into you this week. It was probably the awful weekend of sports <laughs> oh, that probably did that I experienced. I'm, I'm cheering for the Heat, so that that didn't, that was nice. But didn't like, go that well for in youth baseball this weekend. I, the the I think Zach Zach Chabal put it because I don't want to say baseball because softball. But yeah. The the bat and ball teams from Seattle. Correct. It was like it was it, a very it was bad week. One like gut punch in a row. I'm like watching a terrible children's baseball game that I'm already upset about. Everybody after was like, we all had to take angry naps at our 10 year olds, right? About how badly this was going. And these are like the most, these are the calmest, most neutral people who had to do this. And then I pull up my phone and I'm like, well, at least the Mariners, oh God. And then I'm like, well, we'll be saved by Husky. No. And then I'm like, but there's still Husky. No, that was my Sunday. So why would I be nihilistic about it? <laughs> Uh, I feel like I'm in a better mood about life than you are. Uh, so Marco Gonzalez was placed on the 15-day IL with a forearm strain last Saturday. Mariners GM Justin Hollander told reporters Tuesday that Gonzalez has a minor strain but will likely miss about a month. Uh, to fill his spot in the rotation, Brian Wu was called up from AA Arkansas. is the Mariners' top pitching prospect at this point with Bryce Miller in the major leagues. Unlike Bryce Miller's debut and Easton McGee's debut, Wu got rocked for six runs in two innings by the Rangers on Saturday. On the positive side, he struck out four of the six, four of the six batters he recorded outside. On the other hand, seven of the nine balls in play against him were hard hit. Uh, they have two days off this week, which would allow them to potentially skip Wu this time through the rotation. I pulled the notes I have on the Mariners. Good. Got them. Less notes, the better. Uh, quick Kraken update. They signed GM Ron Francis to a three-year contract extension ahead of the final season of his original contract, which now takes his deal through 2026-27 is the only executive running the show the Kraken have seen. Uh, it was a rough week for the Sounders, who took just one point from two home matches Wednesday versus San Jose, another game where the Sounders dominated the expected goals from Soccer Power Index with nothing to show for it. They had 2.5 expected goals, both shot-based and non-shot, while the Earthquakes were just below one. But San Jose found the back of the net through former Timbers rival Jeremy Abobasi just after halftime, and the Sounders couldn't convert any of their 23 shots, eight on goal. And happier news, Rail Ruiz Diaz did make his return off the bench on Wednesday. Then Saturday is the opening game of the Derby doubleheader. The Sounders and Timbers played to a drab, nil-nil draw. Neither team managed even half an expected goal with a combined three shots on goal. Uh, the only real positive takeaway from Saturday is that Christian Roldan made his first appearance since April 8th after dealing with the after effects of a concussion, playing a little more than 30 minutes coming off the bench alongside Ruiz Diaz. Somehow, despite that, the Sounders are still second in the West due to their extra matches in terms of points. They have played three more games than first place St. Louis City SC, one point ahead, and a remarkable five more than third place LAFC, which lost in the finals of the CONCACAF Champions League last week. Sounders have also played one more than anyone else in a playoff position, but Who, do still rank third oh, in points Champions per League. match. Who won that? I believe Leon was the team that beat LAFC. 
The good news here is that does mean the Sounders will have relatively less fixture congestion than their top West rivals the rest of the way. Woo! Hang the banner. <laughs> that less was fixture congestion. <laughs> <laughs> right next to the DVOA champs. That was incidentally the last CONCACAF Champions League under the current name is CONCACAF announced a name change to the CONCACAF Champions Cup beginning with an expanded 27 team format starting in 2024, which will also incre- increase the prize payouts by more than five times for the competition to 5 million combined. Wow. My favorite thing is when corporations get more money for something. <laughs> That's so exciting for me because it really the thing that it changes for me personally is that a, a corporation, whoever wins it, uh, international corporation, multi-billion dollar company, that they're going to get more money if they win. Are you for real? I mean, I, in soccer, I do think they will likely reinvest that in players. Wow. I can't wait to see. Uh, oh, this is rich. This is good stuff. And you won't like, be like the They're like exactly. a company gets more money. <laughs> I don't know what the future of this podcast is. After three out. matches in eight days, Ooh. the Sounders have midweek. A off. cup that no one actually cares about at all. Oh, but... how dare you say that about the Sounders? Oh, so... Only MLS Concacaf Champions League champions under that name. So yes. do not respect it. Yeah, they just keep feeding us cups for. Because we're just like, yeah, that matters. Now we care about Legionnaires Cup. <laughs> oh no, no. League's Cup. <laughs> League's Cup. It's not a League's disease. Cup. No, I, but what is the payout for each team? Because that matters to me personally. All right, remain calm. Uh, the Senators <laughs> have midweek off to prepare for their first trip ever to face Charlotte FC at Bank of America Stadium. In their second season, is an expansion franchise. Charlotte currently holds the last playoff spot in the East with 21 points from 17 matches. I care about the team because my favorite football player, Russell Wilson, is a part owner. (laughs) He really cares about sports in the city of Seattle. There's no way that he would ever be a fan of a team from another city after that, right? (laughs) Well, let's talk about our real rivals here. The San Diego Wave. (laughs) Continuing their strong play. In the end of this, I'll challenge We're done. We're done. <laughs> That's all we've got. We're, we're I love the idea go. of athletes owning part, being co-owners of a team when it's just like, they could be traded. It's still not going to mean that Seattle has a place in Russell Wilson's heart. He's not Hang the banner, place in Russell Wilson's heart. <laughs> <laughs> Things are great, and Seattle has a place in Russell Wilson's heart. Russell Wilson has a place in my heart, though. We're being serious. Huge Denver fan, though, I noticed. He really is long-term, like, love the Nuggets. Him and Sean Payton. Sports uh, are stupid. The whole concept. Can, it's sunny outside. Who even cares? Who can I get to host this podcast after you <laughs> stop talking about sports? We all agreed Joseph Evans. He's the host. <laughs> yeah, we do. We, great. We <laughs> Won't miss a beat. Continuing their strong play in the Challenge Cup, the rain dominated the hated San Diego Wave in a 3 wow. nothing red win last Wednesday. All of those Wave fans went home angry. Ryan Brown, Olivia Athens, and Jordan Heidema scored for the rain, who remain undefeated and unscored upon in Challenge Cup play, albeit none of those three matches yet against the Thorns. And after beating Portland in the last rain Sounders doubleheader that we attended back in 2021, mm-hmm. 
Ukraine came out on the wrong side of this one, failing to score a goal despite 15 shots, four of them on goal. The Thorns peppered Fallon Tullis Joyce with 19 shots and got an early goal in the 17th minute from reigning MVP Sophia Smith. While legendary Christine Sinclair finished off the reign by scoring a second in the 87th minute. Saturday, a rematch of last year's NWSL semifinal matchup won by the Kansas City Current at Lumen Field. The Current have slowed to start this season, coming in last in the NWSL standings with nine points and a minus eight goal differential. All right, the Seattle Storm. We talked last week about the return of Brianna Stewart. Uh, the Storm were competitive in that one, an 86-78 loss where Stewie made the difference after halftime despite floating in her words in the first half of an emotional day. Stewart had 17 points and eight rebounds in the second half alone and became just the second WNBA player ever with at least 25 points and 10 boards in their first game against their former team. Uh, definitely many more cheers Maybe a handful of scattered booze here and there, but it was primarily cheers for Stewie. And by the end of the day, like, you know, any any lingering bitterness about her departure was kind of overshadowed by the excitement of just seeing her back in Seattle. On Saturday, the Storm played away from Climate Pledge Arena for the first time this season, losing 92-85 in Los Angeles, despite Jewel Lloyd's career-high 37 points on eight three-pointers. Ezzy Magbagor with 14 and rookie Jade Melbourne with a career-high 10 were the lone two other Storm players in double figures as the team dropped to 0-4, the last winless team in the league. But that is no longer the case because earlier Tuesday, go. these same Violet two teams met at Climate Pledge Arena. story about that. There you go. With the Storm falling behind 24-4 to start that. the game and scoring just six points in the first quarter. But that was no obstacle. Wow. As they came back. You with... probably didn't think the team was going to win at that point, did you? I, I did not. Wow. I really did not. Ricky Proven Jordan wrong first, again. He has me uh, against Kevin Pelton. Like the, the heat of made a sport of that. Ricky <laughs> Jordan Horston had her best game thus far. The Storm's first round pick with 14 points, seven rebounds, four steals, playing a key role in the comeback. Storm took the lead in the third quarter and uh, managed to hold on down the stretch for a 66-63 win. Uh, Neka Ogumake. Tried the quick two with the Sparks down three in the closing seconds. Could not score over the intimidating presence of Eze Megbogor. And then LA inexplicably did not foul in the closing seconds as the Storm closed that one out. Uh, They were down 18 after one quarter that was tied for the second largest margin ever overcome in a win in WNBA history after the first quarter. That's pretty wild. And by as many as 21. So how was Jewel Lloyd in this game? Oh, outstanding again. She had 25 points. Not not quite as incandescent as her 37, but she has now scored 25 points in four-plus games, which ties the Storm franchise record, according to Across the Timeline. The uh, all-time WMA record is seven, so she's taking aim at that. For how many? 25? Yep. Okay. Are we seeing Jewel Lloyd, with the absence of Sue and Brianna Stewart, evolve into superstar territory? I mean, Superstar is still a bit strong, but she has responded to the challenge at every level, and particularly from a leadership standpoint. I mean, How that's, old is Jewel Lloyd, by the way? Uh, she's going to turn 30 not too long. Okay. But she's still, like, in her prime. Yeah. I mean, she's playing as well as ever. We'll be interesting to see what happens. She will be an unrestricted free agent at season's end, but is eligible for an extension. So, so she's going to sign up be... the aces. <laughs> oh, no. 
Got it. I don't think that's Ju- how Joel Roy rolls. I mean, I, I don't want to say for sure that she's going to be in Seattle next year, but I do not think she will be in Las Vegas or New York. She's a WNBA player, so as far as I understand, it'll be New York or Las Vegas. <laughs> I don't think so. I, f- I follow the offseason, okay? I don't follow the games that much, but the transactions I follow and um, all the players play for those two teams. Uh, you know, the, the Liberty is a little shaky, a little shaky right now. Ace is not so much. They are they undefeated? undefeated. Yes. Are the Liberty also undefeated? No. They have been defeated multiple times. Whoa. Yeah. Hmm. A little shaky. That's what I just said. All right. Well, the Aces didn't sign any players from the Storm, so. Uh, Alicia Clark was not directly from the Storm. Storm legend Alicia Clark is there. Plus Kelsey Plum. Like, we're Aces people, right? We agree with that. I mean, it's tough because Stewie in New York, but. What yeah, you the, mean is. The Aces. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean is, I am objective and. Oh. Do not care about the outcome of many WNBA games. <laughs> that's that's great. The don't caring. That's where I really get behind it. The objective <laughs> part, I don't know. But I really like what you said when you said you don't care. Because it doesn't matter. You had me at don't care. It well, you know doesn't what, matter. You know what didn't matter last weekend? UW Baseball, whose season it came to an end Sunday in Stillwater. The Huskies won their opener Friday against Dallas Baptist 9-5. For losing a slugfest on Saturday to this Oral Roberts, I... fifteen to twelve, <laughs> after you... taking an eight nothing lead in the second inning, I really, I it was like the twenty four to four after the first quarter. Like if if we would have seen that, we'd been like, let's go! This team is winning the college baseball World Series. That didn't happen, but looking at the stats for Oral Roberts in this game, it was like looking at like children's baseball or whatever but not even like the level that my children are playing at because their stats aren't that good this was like bad children's baseball this was like coach pitch it was like three for five four for five four for five like every single player down the line for oral roberts had a monster day the huskies gave up 24 hits in this game that's wild so and, and and like you think about that over nine batters, Has the MLB amount of hits. Middle bats. I, that was incredible seeing those stats, and that the Huskies blew that lead. I, I think that one's going to stick with them for a while. <laughs> uh, Considering well, that it would have been their second consecutive victory in the College World Series. I mean, in the in the NCAA tournament, it would have pushed them to the you know, winner game or winner part of the bracket where you would have had to lose twice to the same opponent to be eliminated. Instead, UW went to the elimination rematch against Dallas Baptist. And this time the Patriots ranked 14th in the country, but still unseated in the tournament. One nine, one. They're good. To Dallas Baptist is good. But Oral Roberts would go on to advance from the Stillwater regional wow. over Dallas Baptist or uh, Oklahoma state, which hosted the regional. Oh, yeah. Not even close. Oh, and two got knocked out immediately. Yeah. Never played the Huskies. That is wild. Yeah. So Let bizarrely. Oh, what? Let's hear this. Bizarrely. No, no, no. That was that was moving ahead. Uh, conceptually, we're gonna talk about softball in a second. We're just, yeah. Why is college baseball such a lesser sport than college softball? Because when I'm trying to watch these games, well, I'm not saying that one should be sacrificed at the expense of the other. More just 
Like when I'm turning on UW versus Florida State, that's on ABC. Yeah. Uh, there was UW, UW Stanford was on ABC, not right, Florida UW State. Stanford. But like when I'm trying to watch UW versus Dallas Baptist or whatever, because I don't love ESPNU. Was that on ESPN U? I thought that was only on Plus. Or, yeah, I'm sorry, ESPN Plus. Yes, that's what I meant. Only on ESPN Plus, which all the games are on ESPN Plus, basically. I mean, part of it with baseball is that there were 16 games happening at the same time since this is their first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Uh, I think the biggest reason is probably that, like, ML, you know, college baseball is seen is so inferior to Major League Baseball, and they're competing with minor leagues. Not all the best players go to college baseball, whereas college softball is in some ways the pinnacle of softball competition, even though, you know, the best of the best do go on to play professionally in a couple of leagues that exist. But but it's basically like the best college softball players, their highest moments are happening at colleges. Yeah. I mean, there's just way more fan interest in college softball than pro softball, and that is not the case in baseball, obviously. I have very little interest in pro baseball, actually, so... <laughs> I've heard fruit earlier in this podcast. Anything more on UW baseball? I mean, honestly, it was an amazing season. The All real, things considered. The real, the real NCAA tournament is the rundown we made along the way. I, I mean, you promised they were on the rundown all year. The Mariners made the playoffs and they didn't even achieve that. So <laughs> they did achieve that. I'm not taking them off the rundown. Oh, they're, you if they're under the 500, they are gone. From the rundown. Unless they need that is a carrot. (laughs) Husky baseball has had a. When did the Raiders get to play the A's again? I think they've had their A's fill for now. (laughs) They don't deserve to play the A's again. (laughs) You've had enough A's for now, Mariners. You're going to make yourself sick if you gorge on more A's. It, It does feel like for Husky baseball, obviously they had their run where they went to the College World Series a couple of years ago. But it does feel and like... And by a couple of years ago, you mean 2018? I mean, in Husky baseball terms, that's recent. You know, this is not a great baseball program. So seeing them come back and have something where it feels like they're kind of building a program here, uh, I think that, like, that team was all seniors, right? The 2018 team. That sounds right, yeah. All seniors. It led was by, interesting. Led by Joe Wainhouse. Chief Keefe, Keeper Lloyd, he like, he was the starting pitcher in the game against Oral Roberts, where it just got totally roughed up. But I think this is a little bit younger of a team, and I do feel like UW Baseball is actually building something around their head coach, and it's like, I'm excited to see what happens going forward for them. Agreed. So, somewhat bizarrely, UW softball had the exact same results on the same days as UW baseball had last weekend. Uh, After lightning delays pushed Thursday night's scheduled game to Friday morning, the Huskies beat Utah in their opener to avenge a loss to the Utes in the Pac-12 tournament semifinals. And again, we watched the first two or three innings of together. Uh, And you were very convinced after Utah scored the first run of this game that it was over at this point. I know baseball. Ruby Malin and Lindsay Lopez combined to allow one run on three hits, that that sole run on three hits, while the Huskies rallied from their oh early my deficit. God. Freaking raccoon just walked by outside. Holy oh. shit. 
You keep talking. I got to go look at this raccoon. Uh, with a Riley Holtorf home run to take the lead for good, Holtorf also drove in the Huskies' third run with a single before a sacrifice fly capped the scoring in the 4-1 win. On Saturday, in a rematch of the 2018 Women's College World Series Championship Series, the Huskies faced a number three Florida State. Seminoles chased Malin in the second inning, scoring a pair of early runs, and despite seven hits, the Huskies managed only a single run in the top of the sixth on a Kelly Lynch single. Florida State answered with a run in the bottom of the inning to provide the final 3-1 to one margin. That loss pushed the Huskies to an elimination game against rivals Stanford on Sunday. A pitcher's duel between freshmen saw neither team score through the fifth inning. In the bottom of the sixth, the Cardinal manufactured a run with a leadoff single. The runner stole second, advanced to third in an error before on the throw before being singled home for what proved the only run of the game as the Huskies managed just a lone hit against Stanford starter Najari Kennedy. Uh, Ruby Malin, more than good enough to win, giving up just the lone run on four hits in the season-ending loss. I did not see the raccoon anymore. Okay. It was gone, but it's pretty shocking. You know, when your light goes on outside and the raccoon's walking by. Shock to the system. In the same way that losing to Stanford <laughs> is a shock to the system. And it, it, any other team would have preferred this, but there were so many moments in that game. Every time you steal second, when you're watching it live, you're like, they're out. That player's out. And they're always safe. I've never seen a runner get thrown out, basically. <laughs> and then they replay, and you're like, yeah, that was the right call. Uh, this was such a frustrating game, though, and the Huskies not being able to get anything going. They got into a couple of jams, including a play where they got called for blocking. They doubled up a runner and got called for blocking first base. And just like <laughs> it, it was, they even talked about it on the broadcast. They were like, this is like a, a uh, like technicality, basically a technicality. What is the the rule of law or whatever right. type play where it's like the runner was thrown out by a mile. It wasn't close, but this idea that the first baseman is blocked. And I, I saw that I was like, they're going to get a hit. I was like, Stanford is this is going to throw things off. This runner is going to come around to score. And they didn't. And they just couldn't get anything going bats wise. And it was, I mean, it, I mean, Kennedy is a legit elite pitcher. Oh my you know, god, held, it wasn't held, even close. Held Oklahoma in check the next day. That was a game that they eventually lost in nine innings, two yeah. extra innings, against the number one team in the country. I believe that was their fiftieth consecutive win, which is extending the uh, all-time record. What I still, I, I really think, I talked about why do we even pay attention to professional baseball, right? Paul Anka just don't look, but. If the sport is set up that every single year you're going to have the World Series more or less at home, right? Yeah. 20 miles. It's going to make it very easy to recruit to have all the best players in the country. If you're at a 50-game win streak, it's kind of like, hey, maybe some athletic directors around the country should start having some conversations. This doesn't need to be the status quo. There are and, cities throughout the country where there isn't lightning delay or lightning delays all throughout the month of June. If we're being honest here, like Oklahoma, obviously they're moving to the SEC. 
But this is not the central place of power within college sports. Oklahoma is not an important program in the way that some of the other ones are. So to just allow Oklahoma to basically dominate the entire sport is like, it's a conversation. Some people, UCLA is moving to the Big Ten. UCLA has a lot of leverage right now, right? They're an important program in college softball. For them to just be like, we're just basically seeding the championship every single year to Oklahoma. It well, the doesn't question make is sense. venue because UCLA, like the city of LA, does not have a softball stadium that seats, you know, ten thousand plus people. Only Oklahoma City has that. that. That's it. That's the only one in the country. I'm pretty sure it is the biggest and only. Somebody else make one. How about that? Maybe we could have it's time, five yes. schools make one in p- different places. It's not that hard. There's a lot of money coming into these programs. We don't look. The college football teams can only have so nice of facilities. Challenge accepted. <laughs> so it, it would be nice if it weren't just we're basically like that. That to me is the frustrating part of it, which was if UW had beaten Stanford, if they'd gotten through to the championship series, right? Well, they would have had to play Oklahoma in the that's not the championship series. That they would have been in the if they would have beaten Stanford, they would have played Oklahoma in the semis. Correct. It is all for the privilege to lose to Oklahoma. Everything that happens in the <laughs> college softball World Series is for the privilege to lose to Oklahoma because they host it every year. If you were one of the best softball players in the country, would you want to be be at the team that has a 50-game win streak and host it at home every year? Right? It makes me wonder. I think at the end of this month, early July, I want to do uh, USC, UCLA, to the Big Ten one year later conversation with where that at, that's at. A lot has happened, and ultimately nothing has happened. But I'm very interested to kind of have a conversation about how college sports are working and functioning right now because college sports don't exist. They're TV deals. They're college football TV deals. The <clears throat> That's what they are, ultimately. But looking at programs like UConn and Gonzaga having conversations about joining the Big 12 and how that's going, I'm interested to have that, to have a deeper discussion about that. Okay. Well, the loss ended the UW careers of eight players, uh, Bailey Klingler, Sammy Reynolds, Madison Husky, Kelly Lynch, Silent Rain, Espinoza, and Megan Vandegrift all started in their final game on That's Sunday, all the players. As well as pinch hitter Jadlin Olchin and unused Brooke Nelson, one of the heroes of the comeback in the regionals that got the Huskies to this point. Uh, that class did manage to keep intact the tradition that every UW graduating class under Heather Tarr has reached the Women's College World Series. That is all of the players. It's a lot. I mean, the team, I think they regularly mentioned, I believe it's 17 or 18 was the UW roster. So if you have five, six, eight seniors, that's a lot of turnover. <laughs> a lot of turnover. Our UW men's basketball back on the rundown. Another newcomer to the mix via transfer. It's Lamar Guard Nate Calmese, the Southland Conference Freshman of the Year in 2022-23. Calmese is 17.6 points per game, ranked second among true freshmen in the country. Uh, the six foot two Calmese, not really a point guard. He averages 2.0 assists per game, but reasonably solid efficiency. Uh, at the lower level of competition, shooting 55.5% on twos and 37% on threes for a 0.579 true shooting percentage. He'll have three years of remaining eligibility. 
like Hopkins is kind of going off this offseason. Yeah. Uh, perimeter group looking pretty loaded with four transfers, Kelmeze, Sevier Wheeler, Anthony Holland, and Moses Wood, plus the returning Corin Johnson and freshman Wesley Yates and Christian King. It's kind of low-key, kind of a good team. I, it, it is. It's a, a troublingly good team. <laughs> Look, if this is what Hop can do, then True. do it. True. Uh, we learned that UW will play in the Continental Tire main event in Las Vegas as part of a loaded four-team yes! field that will also include St. Mary's, whom the Huskies defeated go. to win last year's Wooden Legacy Championship, national runner-up San Diego State, and Xavier is the fourth team. National runner-up San Diego State? They went to the championship game, but did not win the championship game. Are you so they sure were about that? That happened this year? San Diego State, yes. Pac-12's finest? Yes. You don't remember? You received a lot of news coverage. (laughs) (laughs) I tuned tuned in for the fourth quarter. (laughs) They don't play quarters in college basketball. I'm so Uh, confused. Uh, Miss Fantasy Genius is like Oral Roberts that's made up. And I'm like, do you not even pay attention to the NCAA tournament? They're in it all the time, sort of. It's one of the, like that's what Lamar is. It's just like yeah, yeah. I picked them as the 13 seed to up, upset. 13? I don't think they're getting that high a seed. You don't think so? <laughs> no, they're a 15 at best. That's how I know Lamar. There's so many college where colleges where you're just like yeah, I've seen them in the NCAA tournament. Last year, by the way, Lamar rated 358th of 363 teams on Ken Palm. Wow, like not not ideal. They they, they last made the NCAA tournament. In 2012, is a 16 seed really? where they lost in the uh, the first four. I picked them to, to upset. No, <laughs> uh, in 2000, they did make it. Also, as a 16 seed. Wow, <laughs> I would have guessed that Lamar had been in way more often than that. Yeah, I don't know who you were thinking of, but that it name's not been Lamar. around. They have some had some fa- fairly famous coaches. Pat Knight coached them to the first four in 2012, and uh, Billy Tubbs. The longtime Oklahoma coach. Just children of good coaches. Still a famous name. Oh no, famous it wasn't Billy Tubbs. Was there? But Mike Dean was the uh, the coach who last got them to the actual in the actual game in the NCAA tournament, where they lost by twenty seven to Duke. That's probably the game that I remember is them playing Duke in twenty three years ago. <laughs> uh, we have times and broadcast schedules for UW football's non conference game. Conference games, I should say. Uh, the season opener versus Boise State will be at 12.30 p.m. We're counting Michigan State as a conference game. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be at 12.30 p.m. on ABC. Uh, next week, they'll take on Tulsa at 2 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network. And then September 16th at Michigan State at 2 p.m. on Peacock as part of NBC's new Big Ten D- TV deal. They include some games will be on NBC, but some like this one, exclusively on Peacock. So that your your grandfather will be confused about where the peacock, how do they get the peacock network? Wow! But I'm I'm actually very excited about that start time because I'm planning to attend the Michigan State game and uh, gives us plenty of time to uh, stay in Detroit the night before the following day's Seahawks Lions game. I mean, we're going to beat Michigan State by 40, 50 points. Oh, like, okay, let's all remain calm. It's it's a tough non-conference schedule. But, uh, 
I don't care what time the game starts. Wow, you don't I, care I about I've anything. seen people both be mad about nighttime starts and daytime starts. That's so true. It's almost like we shouldn't care what time the game starts. It's all fine. Everything is fine. Everything is exactly fine. I do think people are reading a lot into this game being on Peacock. And I think the thing that they should read into a little bit more is that nothing matters at all. And this is college football and who cares? But uh, it's literally just about exploiting young athletes. That's the entire point of the sport. But I think that as a side note, people may not understand that sometimes when you're starting a new partnership, you want to put important games as part of that partnership. So I, I, I don't think it's like an insult to UW versus not Michigan State. No. I think it is kind of about putting an important game. It, it kind of falls in the exact like radius of it's not too important, but it's important. So it's the perfect game for Peacock. Neither of these, per- they're not Ohio State, they're not USC. It's not Notre Dame, Michigan. But it's not irrelevant. Like, an irrelevant game actually is more likely, I think, to be on NBC because they want people to go to Peacock because they have to watch this game. Correct. And that is exactly what the programs of Michigan State and the University of Washington are. All right, the last bit of news this week. The Seahawks announced on Tuesday that they will debut their throwback 1990s-era uniforms in Week 8 at home against the Cleveland Browns. That's really important because my life is very empty, and I the only thing I have going for me is the football team that I cheer for is wearing a jersey that of their is notoriously the unsuccessful era. <laughs> the same as a jersey from notoriously unsuccessful. Uh, that years. was, I guess, that was Mike Sean's description of the 1990s. I mean, they did wear those uniforms back in the 80s, but they weren't good. And I, I just that's the only thing that's going to get me out of bed that day. So, if I see a player that I like from modern times wearing a jersey from olden times, that'll just be great. And the other thing is, I, the, I really hope, I really hope that they can monetize this. <laughs> which is they have their throwback jerseys and they're going to be able to sell. You wouldn't believe this. Just listen. Just listen to it. <laughs> they're going to be able to sell those jerseys in their uh, team shop for all of the it modern took that players. that long for you to figure out the term team shop? No, it was a dramatic pause. For <laughs> all of the players who are currently on the team as if they were on the team back in the day. So, and they're going to wear them this year. And I just, I'm so happy because it's going to mean increased profits for the professional football team that happens to be in the city that I was born in. Near. I was born in Berrien, but like near. I can only it's hope a, that going to, going to Vegas is going to shock you out of your nihilism. <laughs> this is This is deep down. Oh, I'll no. still care. Look, I still care about Jackson Smith and Jigba, but I'm just the idea of caring about anything else that happens is it's like the Sounders, and they're like, it's the Jimi Hendrix jersey. And I'm like, wow, what a dope fucking job of exploiting the Jimi Hendrix estate. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like his sister, who Jimmy Hendrix never met Jimi Hendrix okay. once in her entire mm-hmm. life, really happy that she's profiting from this. Oh, Let's right. go, Sounders. Anyway, 
<laughs> on that note. <laughs> Thank, thanks for listening. None of this matters. None of this matters. <laughs> We're You're not going to think people are listening. Thanks. Thank <laughs> you for listening. Listen matters. Uh, thanks for <sighs> making it through this. <laughs>